My name is Carlton Dennis, and being a tax strategist, I see the most successful entrepreneurs, business owners, and celebrities overpaying millions in taxes every single year. But just by understanding the tax codes and with the help of my team, we've cracked the code to living tax free. So stay tuned while I share the strategies that have saved my clients hundreds of millions of dollars and position them to build wealth strategically. Welcome to Tax Free Living. highlight of my career right now is Donald Trump's tax returns getting released. So this is incredibly good for business. And I'll talk to you guys a little bit more about why this is so good for business. But I'm super excited to be talking about today's topic. I feel like I'm sitting with information that 99% of the world doesn't know. And I feel like I have some kind of superpower just by understanding this type of information. And I feel like <clears throat> once you guys understand a little bit more about like the tax codes, how they work, some of the write-offs that you can leverage within the tax codes, I feel like you guys will also understand why Donald Trump is sitting in the place that he's sitting, why he may not owe any taxes, and even why Jeff Bezos and um, other CEOs are paying zero to little in tax. So I'm gonna bring in I'm gonna bring in another tax strategist. His name is Matt, and he's out in Las Vegas. He's a great guy. You guys will like him. And uh, part of the reason why I'm bringing him in is so you guys can get two perspectives. So let me see if he's in here yet. Oh, there. All right. Let's try to get him in here. Jeanette, you're not allowed to talk about my decor. You should have been, you should have been had my office looking better than the way it is right now. What's there going on? At Dude, funny that you're talking about your office. Check me out here. Like, I got the same thing going on. Do you have, do you have uh, all operations that have zero? Dude. Just a TV, whiteboard, and my screens, and that's it. I have nothing on the walls, except for my license, my CPA license, total that's it. Yeah. That's a total accountant office right there. Oh, You're yeah. Like, Somebody walked in yesterday, the girl that walked in yesterday to meet me, she was like, man, it's so sterile in here, I like it. And I was like, well, this is what it is, dude. <laughs> set this up. I like it, man. I'm yeah. glad that you, uh, you want to have this chat with me because Ever since Trump's tax returns got released, my DMs have gotten blown up within. First off, that's how I found out they even got released was from Instagram. I had about 67 messages of people saying, did you see? Did you see? Did you see? Did you see? I'm like, did I see what? And I was like, is there another California fire going on? Like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. um, and it was the fact that people finally found out information on Trump's tax returns. So you and I. Um, our tax strategist, and I don't think people really understand like what tax strategy is. So I first just kind of want to talk about what me and you do. And then we're going to address why Donald Trump pays very little in taxes is what he's doing. Is it like illegal? And if it's not illegal, then how do we do it? Like, how do we do it? So let's first start off with explaining what a tax strategist is. Matt, maybe you can let them know what a tax strategist is. And I will explain my own little version of what I feel like a tax strategist. Yeah. So I think to kind of back up, a lot of people think that taxes are very black and white, when in reality, the tax system in the US is essentially the honor system. Even I used to think this, right? Like first starting college and stuff, when you submit a tax return, the government isn't sitting on the other side waiting to see if you got the answer right. 
the government is sitting on the other side saying, okay, this is what happened. We're listening to you. So essentially, it, you have a chance to really build out the structure that you want to build to, to have the most tax advantageous outcome, depending on where you work, what you're investing in, things like that. And so I think where a strategist comes in is you understand what each avenue can kind of allow you to do and how you're going to be taxed with it. And then sort of what your outcome is again with that. At the end of the day, it's how much tax you pay, but then it's the lifestyle you live, the kind of business you run, the kind of investments you're in, the cash flow you get each month, the equity that you're growing. So I feel like a tax strategist just really takes where are you at in your life? What are your goals? And let me show you how taxes are going to kind of come at you and how we can maybe avoid some of them and play that to their advantage. So, yeah. Yeah. Why tax strategists have jobs like me and Matt is because people are making financial decisions throughout the year, right? I mean, gosh, during this pandemic, people were thinking about buying houses. People were thinking about selling houses. People were thinking about getting new cars. Some people were thinking about selling cars. These are financial decisions and believe it or not, they can impact your taxes if you are a business owner or a real estate investor. So most business owners are making business decisions and financial decisions 365 days out of the year. But if they're not talking to a tax accountant like me and Matt throughout the year when they're making all these financial decisions, they could be wasting money or giving money away to the government and avoiding or not being able to take advantage of all the tax deductions that take advantage by simply just being a business owner or a real estate investor. So a tax strategist is supposed to protect you from overpaying on taxes. Now, Trump, as we know, has quite a bit of resources, right? He's been in business for quite some time. Just to give you guys a background on some of the things that Trump owns, Trump owns casinos, he has um, golf courses, steakhouses, he, he had The Apprentice Show, he had his own underwear line, okay? So this guy has been a business owner for quite some time, um, and he's also been a real estate investor. Now, before we go into the tax strategies and the loopholes that Trump has leveraged, as a taxpayer, you have to understand that there's two different tax systems in the United States. There's a tax system that's for the wealthy, and then there's a tax system that's for the poor and the middle class. The tax system that's for the poor and the middle class is where you're showing up your earning income, you're paying taxes, and then you're left over with whatever amount you're left over with. Whereas the wealthy system, they earn income, they spend income, and then they pay very little in taxes. So how does that work? It starts off with understanding how income is taxed. And I'm just gonna quickly go through how income is taxed. So when we go into some of these strategies, you guys can conceptually understand, okay, got it. This is actually how he's able to not pay any taxes because you understand now how most of us guys who are on this video today are in the E quadrant, meaning that we earn our income, right? We show up to our employer, we work our job in every two weeks or every week we receive a paycheck, right? So we're earning our income. One of the beautiful benefits about having a job where you're working for an employer is the consistency. You're consistently getting a paycheck every two weeks. You don't have to worry about that, whether you put in the effort or not. No risk. Paycheck's going to come, right? And you might even have benefits if you're working with an employer, such as your employer offering you a 401k and being able to uh, match the 401k. Maybe you have some certain health benefits when you're working for your employer. So there is comfortability being able to work for an employer and the government knows this. This is why when you're an employee, there are very little deductions you get to take. You get to write off your mortgage interest 
and your property taxes if you itemize your deductions and the gifts you give to charity and maybe some medical and dental expenses. But really, that's about it, unless you're putting money into a 401k. Now, if you're not a homeowner, then you can take what's just given to you by the government, which is the standard deduction. And in 2020, that's going to be 12400 for single filers, and it's going to be 24800 for married filing joint filers. So this is, this is the playing field if you're just an E in the E quadrant, you're just an income earner. Now, there are some people who will go out and set up their own businesses. Maybe they're a contractor, they're a real estate agent, maybe they're um, a plumber. If you are a contractor, you are in what's called the S quadrant. You're a small-based business owner. Now that you're a small-based business owner, some of the personal expenses you spend your money on, such as your cell phone, eating out, your laptop, your iPad, these now can be turned into business expenses. So as a taxpayer, you hear all the time, businesses are able to take so many more write-offs than W-2 employees. Yes, they are. However, they still have to pay for the supply business. They just get to leverage some of the things that they're already spending money on, such as their mortgage or their rent, such as their desk and their laptop, and such as their cell phone. So you may have heard of a home office deduction or a cell phone deduction or being able to write off your vehicle. So small base business owners do get to benefit from leveraging the tax code. Then we look past some of these real estate agents that we've seen and some of these small contractors to the big businesses, right? The B quadrant. Big businesses are like Apple, Google, Microsoft. These companies are typically C corporations. And if you have a C corporation, your federal taxes are at 21% no matter how much income you earn. Whether you earn $100 or you earn $100 million. If you become a big corporation, establish a C corp, your federal tax rate will always be 21%. This is an, a very awesome thing for business owners who are making a lot of money. Because rather than being taxed self-employment rate that a small business owner is being taxed at, they get to take advantage of the corporate tax rate that Donald Trump reduced. So Donald Trump, the corporate tax rate for C corporations from 35% to 21%. And he made sure all of his corporations are C corps. <laughs> Last quadrant that we're going to go over is the I quadrant. As you guys probably know, that's the investor quadrant. This quadrant has the ability to pay zero in taxes. As you guys know, Donald Trump invests in real estate, but how do you get to the I quadrant? When you're in the I quadrant, you are able to leverage depreciation. And Matt and I are going to spend some time talking to you guys about the power of depreciation today. But being able to become a professional investor allows you to claim 100% of your rental losses. So if I, if I have all of these losses on my tax return, then these losses can offset other income. W-2 income in my other businesses at my golf course, my steakhouse, and my casinos. This is how Donald Trump has built wealth. He leveraged earning income, became a small business owner, grew to become a big business owner, and then became a professional investor. And now he is leveraging losses to not pay any taxes. So the first thing that Matt and I are going to talk to you guys about is losses. And that is the first strategy I want you guys to understand. Before we go into this, if you're watching this right now and you don't have a pen and paper out, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get a pen and paper out right now. You are talking to two tax strategists. 
Do not waste the time right now. Get a pen and paper out. And if you don't have a pen and paper, slide down and do screen record. Record this, okay? And NOL carryback stands for net operating loss carryback. Now, this is a very, 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 very beautiful strategy that not too many people know about. What an NOL carryback is where you're moving losses from one year into a year in which you pay more taxes. So, Matt. And getting a refund at that, too. And getting a refund at that. Now, I did some reading when Donald Trump's tax returns got released because I know that a lot of people got upset about it. And I was trying to figure out some of the strategies that Trump was leveraging. And the NOL carryback just kept popping up on different websites. I want you guys to understand the power of the NOL carryback. So I'm going to give you an example. I had a client that was on the TV show called The Big Loser. If you guys don't know what The Biggest Loser is, it's one of those TV shows where it's people who are typically overweight go on a show. And they are trying to figure out who can lose weight the best. Okay. This was one of my clients. He graduated from The Biggest Loser, won the whole competition, and started becoming a personal trainer and training programs online. He was making income, and he was making really good income. So my client, in the year of 2017, filed his tax returns, and he had a lot of taxes that he paid that year because he balled out. The next year, he wanted to expand his business. So what did he do? He started putting money into um, facilities and warehouses and buying all these workout equipments because he wanted to start a chain of different businesses where he was doing personal training. But in that year of 2018, he had so many losses that he had no taxable income on his tax return. He came to us. And when we had a conversation with him, we said, hey, you have these $400,000 in losses, but on your 2017 tax return, you paid a lot of money in tax. How about we do an NOL carryback strategy? We take the net operating losses from your tax return this year in 2018, and how about we go move them back into the year of 2017, the year you already paid taxes, and then you get a refund from the government. I moved a $400,000 loss from my client's tax return from 2018 back to 2017. He received an, a refund from the IRS for $73,000. Tell them how you can carry it forward too. So, right, it's not even limited to just carrying it back, right? Even the new CARES Act was the one where it allowed you to carry it back now. I believe it's five years before it was two. But just as Carlton mentioned, if you have a loss in one year, if you don't have a year to take it back to to get money back, you can carry it forward now. So now let's reverse that same scenario. And in the next year, you know, he had a big loss because he improved the business yep. and bought a lot of, you know, capital expenditures and bought a lot of equipment, things like that. And then now in the next year, he's stuck with a huge tax hit because his business took off and now he's got a ton of revenue. You get to say, hey, well, I have this huge loss that I had last year. I'm going to use a piece of that this year to kind of chisel away at that tax liability. And you can carry that forward till you lose it. So it's not really a, you get to use it till you lose it, not use it once or you somehow lose it forever. You because you lost money one year doesn't mean it goes away. Yeah. Correct. So, so my client, he did this NOL carryback strategy where we moved $400,000 in losses into his previously filed tax return and he received a refund for $73,000. But guess what? We didn't move all of his losses. So some of the losses that I couldn't move backwards, they rolled over to the next year in 2019. So he gets to utilize losses that he had in 2018 in the year of 2019, wiping out new tax from new income that he earns, okay? See, this is how you, you protect your wealth, right? This strategy of being able to move deductions or move losses 
into a previous year to get a refund back from the government and then utilizing losses and them forward so new income that you're earning this year isn't being taxed. That's a very important strategy to understand. I want you guys to write that down. It's called an NOL carry back and an NOL carry forward. Now, part of the CARES Act that was released allowed for you to be able to take losses up to five years. Um, Obama actually implemented a law that allowed for you to take losses up to five years if you were impacted by the Great Depression. No one benefited more from that than Donald J. Trump, okay? I want you guys to know that. So that's the first strategy. The next strategy that I wanna go over is um, cost segregation study. So cost segregation study has to be my favorite real estate. Um, and I explained it to you guys today. So today you actually understand why it's my favorite strategy and the power of it. But before we go into explaining what a cost segregation study is, Matt and I are gonna explain what depreciation is and what appreciation is. I understand that you've heard the terms before. I'm going to explain it as a tax strategist right now. So depreciation, let's go over the simplest example of depreciation we can possibly do. You purchase a vehicle, Mercedes dealership, you drive it off the lot, instantly the car goes down in value. Why? Because depreciation. You've driven it, you're in it, you breathe the air of the car, you're in it. The car goes down in value. Now, part of the reason why the car goes down in value is because you know, we have weather, there's wear and tear, the life of the value of the car is just gonna go down. But let's just say you purchased a car and then you put a bunch of bells and whistles on it and you tricked it all out and you got new speakers, a new stereo system, you got the, the nice paint on it, you may have added value to the car. That's called appreciation, okay? Same thing for real estate. When you're buying an asset, whether you finance the asset or not, you are given write-off for the entire building's value. That's huge. I feel like you should like really touch on that because a lot of people, I get asked that all the time. If I don't pay cash for the car or if I finance it, do I still get the deduction? And it's, you would be so surprised that so many people do not know that. Mm -hmm. You can walk out of that dealership not putting a penny down. Carlton, got his yeah. portion. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Right? The game. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying, why Matt wants me to focus on this is because depreciation is the most powerful real estate an instrument it's the most powerful one because it can be manipulated when you're buying a property let's just say you're buying a five hundred thousand uh, dollar house if we were to put a down payment down of 10 percent or 20 percent we've now purchased the whole house so if i put fifty thousand dollars down to buy a five hundred thousand dollar house i own the whole building so my 50 grand bought me the whole building because the the banks are giving me a loan for the other four hundred and fifty thousand. When you're taking a write-off called depreciation, you're getting a write-off based on the building's value. So if you and I purchased a property that's 500 grand and they said, hey, Carlton, hey, Joe Schmo, your guy's building is 500 grand, but the land that the building sits on is $100,000 and the building structure, the actual building is $400,000. The building structure, we get a write-off for, which is called depreciation. The land, we do not get a write-off for because land is not depreciable. The government doesn't recognize land going up in value or going down in value. So they don't give taxpayers like you and I a deduction for purchasing the land as well. We only get a deduction for the, the building. So if the building is $400,000, we get to take that as a write-off over the course of 27 and a half years if it's a residential property. That is depreciation. So let's do the math, guys. 
let's say we do 400,000 divided by 27 and a half. That gives us a write-off of 14,545. This is called depreciation. So if I have an investment property that I purchased, I made a down payment on the property, right? I made a down payment so I couldn't buy it all out myself. And I own the whole building. I'm now getting a write-off on the whole building's value over the course of 27 and a half years, which in this scenario gives me about $15,000 as a deduction. Now, let's just say I had a tenant in my property that I was collecting rents from, right? Well, I'm going to pay taxes on that income, but depreciation is an expense. So it's a non-cash one, yes. a non-cash expense, something I don't have to pay cash for. So since depreciation is an expense, if I make $20,000 in rental income and I have $15,000 in depreciation, I'm going to have $5,000 in taxable income. Okay. So I'm really only paying taxes on five grand, even though I made 20 grand because this thing called depreciation that's given to me by the government is helping me not pay as much taxes. Okay. So that's just depreciation. Now let's talk about how depreciation can be manipulated, right? This is a strategy that Donald Trump has leveraged. It's called a cost segregation study. Now you guys, you and I, we both know that when we buy real estate, Everything that we buy inside that property can't last 27 and a half years, can it? I mean, just think about it, guys. A refrigerator, a stove, Furniture. A counter, the, the, the windows, the blinds, those don't last 27 and a half years. We'd be lucky if they last even 10 years. And the government has aligned to allow for taxpayers like you and I to accelerate depreciation. So cost segregation study is where you're getting the cost associated with components that make up your property and you're segregating them and writing them off in a quicker amount of time for example let's just say we had that property that's five hundred thousand dollars and the land was four hundred thousand so our write-off is fifteen thousand dollars every year depreciation but let's say you and I went inside the property and we saw that we had a washer, a dryer, countertop, stove, and you and I just started adding up the costs associated with all these different components. And rather than writing them off in 27 and a half years, I said, you know what? How about we write them off in five years, seven years, 10 years, and some items, 15 years. This is accelerating depreciation. So now if we're earning rental income of 20,000 a month, sorry, 20,000 a year, but we have depreciation of $35,000, we are at a $15,000 loss. So are we paying any taxes on our rental income? We're paying zero in taxes. The cost segregation study, guys, is a way for you to pay zero taxes on owning an investment property by leveraging depreciation and accelerating depreciation. Now, where does this come into effect with everything else Donald Trump does? Because Donald Trump doesn't only invest in real estate. So the next thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about losses, real estate professional losses. You see, guys, Donald Trump, as you may know, is a real estate professional. So he's spending a majority of his time actively managing or, or being around his real estate. He's doing real estate related activities. When you're a real estate professional in the IRS's eyes, you are able to claim rental law. So if Donald J. Trump does a cost segregation study 
on his investment properties, putting him at a loss. These losses that have accumulated are going to go offset other W-2 income or other earned income. So if Donald Trump has his steakhouse, his golf courses, his Resort. show, his underwear line, that he has taxes and taxable income, all the real estate strategies, all the depreciation, all the losses are going to come over and they're going to offset all that tax. So he's not paying any taxes. This is the power of rental losses. Matt, I want to let you kind of chime in to see if there's anything you, that I might have missed when it comes to real estate professional status and rental losses. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing too that I see is you don't need to be some big conglomerate to get those same losses, right? As we know, there's the small mom and pop loss to where even if you have a W-2 job where you're making 50 grand and you own a single family residence a couple blocks away, and just like Carlton was saying, let's say you have rental income of 10 grand a year. And after paying the property taxes, your interest, things like that, you're left with, let's say, two grand. So you're, you're cash flowing two grand a year. But then depreciation comes in on that single family residence of, let's say, three or four thousand. Now you're at a loss of a thousand or two thousand bucks when you really made cash. And now that loss of a thousand or two thousand bucks can go against the W-2 that you're making at whatever job you're working nine to five. Wait, wait, Matt, can I ask you a question? If I'm working a W-2 job and I have rental losses, doesn't that mean I get to adjust my withholdings with my employer so I can take home more money and not be exactly, a Exactly, because now at the end of the year, you're not projecting to be in such a tax bracket that you are maybe with whatever W-4 you're withholding at that time. You know, hey, I have a rental property around the corner that's gonna drive a small loss that I'm gonna get to offset. So now your W-2 of 50,000 is maybe only 48, 47 because of yeah. this rental property that you made cash on, but on paper, it looks like a loss. Because again, you don't need to be this big conglomerate or big syndication to, to get these depreciation losses. You can have it on small single family residential homes right around the corner from you. So yeah. don't think that you have to be at scale to do this. You can do, you can grow one property at a time and still take these losses against your nine to five job. So. And why me and Matt are in business because there's too many taxpayers that think that they can't take advantage of what Donald Trump and what Jeff Bezos and what these big players are doing. But the truth of the matter is there's only tax law. It's just who decides to read it, interpret it and use it and who doesn't decide to read it, interpret it and use it. Right. It's just like, OK, if I have a syllabus that's just telling me exactly what I need to do in order to pass this class, it's just whether or not you choose to read the syllabus or not. That's exactly how I look at tax strategy. So when people are saying, oh my God, Donald Trump, oh my God, he's only paid $750 in taxes. I pay more than Donald Trump does in taxes. I don't get upset. I'm like, damn, I need to figure it out. Because ultimately there are other people, and Matt can contest to this, that don't pay any in taxes and they're not making it Trump. We file tax returns every year for clients that are doing six and seven figures that aren't doing eight, nine, and 10 figures that aren't paying any in taxes by leveraging these things that we're talking about here today, cost segregation, mm -hmm. NOL carrybacks and NOL carry forwards, real estate professional status. These are some of the strategies that are going to help you reduce your tax liability. Now, there's another thing that Trump does that's a little bit um, particular to Trump, which is a revolve around research and development. So you guys may know um, Elon Musk does a lot of research and development. 
Um, Virgin Galactic does a lot of research and development. Apple does a lot of research and development. Um, Donald Trump does research and development. So these types of business leaders who are doing research and development, trying to create new products, new services, trying to get to the moon, because we know Elon's trying to go to the moon and Mars, right? They're, they're creating things to help our economy because they realize that, you know, there's only so many people that we can have here on the United States before our whole world and ecosystem is going to explode, right? So there's people who are trying to help us out. If you are doing any form of research and development that is a qualified form of research and development, you are given a tax credit, okay? So a tax credit, guys, is different than a tax deduction. A tax deduction reduces my taxable income. So if I, own, if I earned $100,000 and I have a $10,000 deduction, I'm only going to pay taxes on 90 grand. Whereas a tax credit, it's dollar for dollar. So if I owe $15,000 in taxes, but I have a $5,000 tax credit, I only owe $10,000. It's like cash. It's literally similar like to how like you hear people say it's a write-off. Oh, it's a that's the buzzword that gets me the most. Oh, it's a write-off. That's right to like what you were saying. That's more of a deduction. It's not going to lower your tax for dollar for dollar like a credit will. Yep, that's exactly right. And so I like to look at credit like money, right? If I'm getting a tax credit, it's going to be dollar for dollar. So all of these entrepreneurs who are doing all of this research and development are avoiding taxes because they're doing what the government's asking them to do. They're investing into oil, they're investing into gas, they're investing into research and development projects. And in return, the government says, here's a tax credit for that. Here's another tax credit for that. And by the way, since you invested in an opportunity zone, you can avoid capital gains as well over there. Okay. So another strategy that we are going to make sure that we remember as a part of today's discussion is that the wealthy leverage research and development tax credits. Now, again, this, Matt will say this. This is something that anybody can leverage. If you're in a business that requires you to do additional research and development, you're creating something new, absolutely you can apply for research and development credits. And you can get a dollar for dollar credit that's going to help you wipe away your taxes. Okay? Next thing I want to go into is CapEx. Matt, do you want to explain capital expenditures? Um, yeah. I think this kind of falls in the line of if I'm about to – Let's say it's year end and my business is sitting on 50,000 of income that I know I'm going to pay tax on. For example, if I'm a C Corp and I'm going to pay 21% tax on 50,000 and I simply don't want to and I see areas of improvement in my business, I can take that 50,000 and reinvest it into my company, whether it's through payroll, bonuses, to, right? Keep employees happy, whether it's to buy new equipment to ramp up production, whether it's anything that you could spend within your business. You can ideally take that money, reinvest it into your business, and now your taxable income has gone to zero. Yeah. So, I mean, just, I would say that's the biggest form of, I would say, tax reduction, right? It's obviously being able to reinvest into your own business and your own people to drive down your tax bill, when in reality, that money now is just really coming back to you on the back end to drive more revenue. It's, <laughs> the way me and you talk, it, it just rolls off of our tax accounts yeah. but like hearing that they're like what in the world did they just say so yeah. we're gonna go over that one one more time so capital expenditures let's just let's just go over what that means <clears throat> so anything that's going to improve your business is considered like a capital expenditure right if i'm buying if, if, if i'm a photographer and i'm buying a new lens for my camera 
That's a capital expenditure. I'm buying a new a piece of equipment that's going to improve what I'm already doing. Not like I'm repairing the camera, right? I'm not taking it to a shop to get repaired. I'm buying something to improve what I'm already doing. So anytime we're doing improvements, especially on real estate, they have to be uh, capitalized. And typically Im improvements are capitalized five years or over seven years, depending on what the equipment. So for some of our clients, they want to do uh, certain expenditures at the end of the year because they don't want to pay taxes. So sometimes that's our clients buying new equipment in their organization or sometimes buying a new vehicle. One of the cool things about the Tax Cuts Jobs Act that Donald Trump implemented in 2018 is that if you purchase a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds, such as like the Tesla Model X and the, the Mercedes uh, G-Wagon, you can write off those vehicles in one year. So if, client, or if one of our clients makes a purchase on a Mercedes G-Wagon, $15,000 or $10,000 down to go buy a G-Wagon or a Tesla, they're able to take a hundred and fifty-five thousand dollar off that year for the entire car. They put they put a down payment, fifteen, ten, whatever, but they can expense the whole vehicle in one year. So if that vehicle, that Tesla Model X, if it's one hundred and twenty thousand, if that G wagon's one hundred fifty-five thousand, even though you made a down payment. I can take a write-off for you on the entire vehicle's purchase amount in that year, right? Rather than you depreciating the vehicle over five years, how about we write off the vehicle in one year? That was a tax change that Donald Trump implemented as a part of the Tax Cuts Jobs Act. Now, another change that Donald Trump implemented that I want small-based businesses to know is that Donald implemented a 20% qualified business income deduction that was huge huge it huge. was so it was so huge because other tax preparers didn't even know about it i was like wait a second i have accountants asking me about this like other tax accountants calling me asking me about this like how mm -hmm. do you not there's a 20 percent deduction on all net business income if you're an llc an s corp a sole proprietor pretty much anything but a c corp <laughs> You get a 20% deduction on net income. Let me give you an example. Let's say I decided to start a, a candle business online. Let's say after all expenses, I made $100,000 in my business. After all expenses, that's my net income. Well, in an S-Corp, I'm gonna have to run payroll. So let's say I put myself on payroll $30,000. My business just received a $30,000 deduction. So now there's 70 grand in my business. That money, that 70 grand, I'm gonna pay taxes on it. But rather than paying taxes on 70 grand, I actually only am going to pay taxes on 56,000. Because if I'm getting a 20% deduction, 20% of 70,000, that's $14,000, right? I don't even have to report 14 grand. I don't even have to report $14,000 because I'm a business owner. I get a 20% deduction. So now I'm only reporting $6,000 and paying taxes on that. At 20% too, like for example, that's 2,800 free dollars that you just got because of that QBI deduction. Assuming yeah. a 20% rate, so. So yeah. that just did was he multiplied it by like a tax rate to know what my actual tax savings are. So just Donald Trump implementing that uh, qualified business income deduction, someone who's making six figures with 70 grand left in their business is gonna benefit at about $2,800 just from that QBI deduction as money saved in their pocket, okay? 
Tax Cuts Jobs Act was very, very important because a lot of employees used to be able to deduct unreimbursed business expenses. So let's just say your employer that you work for um, and you're working from home, and let's say you buy your own printer, your own computer, some of your own supplies, your own markers, and you also go out to eat to meet up with clients because that's what your employer wants you to do. But let's say your employer never reimburses you for all these items that you're spending your money on. These are unreimbursed employee business expenses. So before Donald Trump got into office, you were able to write those off as a taxpayer. If you had expenses with your, as a W-2 employee with your employer, you were able to write those expenses off as an itemized deduction. Now that he implemented the Tax Cuts Jobs Act, he got rid of unreimbursed employee business expenses. So for example, if you're a teacher, and you buy your own Crayolas and crayons and markers for your classroom, you can't write that off anymore. You can't write it off anymore. I know that your, 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 your um, school district may not be able to give you the money to buy it now, but you coming out of your own pocket, you're not getting a deduction for it anymore. So for W-2 employees, they got impacted by the Tax Cuts Jobs Act that Donald Trump implemented because they're losing out on their unreimbursed employee business expenses. So Donald Trump said, if I'm gonna cut out, if I'm gonna cut out their unreimbursed employee business expenses, I gotta give them something else. So what could I do to give them to make up for that? Well, if you have a child, instead of getting a $1,000 child tax credit, I'll give you $2,000. So Donald Trump, he increased the child tax credit from $1,000 to $2,000. So if you have a child that qualifies to be on the tax return, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000 in tax credits. We talked about tax credits. That's dollar for dollar, not a deduction. So you like tax credits. That's a good thing. Okay. So he helped us out there. Okay, great. 1,000, we get 2,000. Big deal, right? But what else did he do? He doubled the standard deduction. So I want you guys to understand what this means. When you're a W-2 employee, and let's just say you're not a homeowner, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of write-offs. So you're probably just going to take what's called the standard deduction. This is a deduction that's given to you by the government because you are a taxpayer and you've earned enough money to qualify to file a tax return. So you're given the standard deduction. Okay. It's 12,400 for single filers. It's 24,800 for married filing joint. Before Donald Trump implemented the Tax Cuts Jobs Act, the standard deduction was $6,350 if you were single, and it was only $12,000 if you were married. So Donald Trump said, you know what? If I'm going to give all these business owners and real estate investors all these cool little strategies, I got to know about the W-2 employees or else I'm never going to stop hearing about it. So what did he do? He got, he got rid of the unreimbursed employee business expenses, but he added the child tax credit and doubled it, right? And then he doubled the standard deduction. Rather than you getting $6,350, you are getting $12,000, which is now $12,400 in the year of 2020. And instead of a married couple getting $12,000, they get $24,800 now that we're in 2020. Okay? So he incentivized the taxpayers. Ultimately, it was all a wash. It was all a wash. It didn't really benefit us. Matt, did it really, did the Tax Cuts Job Act benefit any of your W-2 employees? Some, but I wouldn't say as many as most people think. Not very many. And part of the reason why is most many of my and Matt's W-2 employees, they're homeowners. And Donald Trump limits the amount of property taxes and state taxes you get to deduct. You can only deduct $10,000 now. And you're in California, so that's a lot more than here in Vegas. Yep, property taxes. Not too much here, yeah. 
up. So if you're only able to deduct $10,000 and you're losing out on anything in excess of 10,000 in property taxes and, and uh, state taxes. So ultimately my W2 employees, my people who are working for us, they didn't benefit from implementing these tax laws uh, changes in 2018. But my clients who went from E quadrant to S quadrant, which means they picked up a side hustle. Yes, that means you actually have to pick up a side hustle. They were able to benefit a little bit more because they were able to they were able to start turning some of their personal expenses into business deductions. Now every time they have a cell phone bill from Verizon right off. Now every time they have their cable bill, fifty percent of it goes to the business. Now when they're paying their rent, only fifteen or fifteen percent of it can be deducted because they're working from home. See, some of your personal expenses that you're already spending your money on can start helping you out. So that's what my clients started doing. They came from E quadrant to small business S quadrant. Okay. From here, it gave them more income and more write-offs, right? Now you have a side hustle. Maybe you're a personal trainer earn, earning an extra $2,000 a month. That's $24,000 a year that you didn't have. And you're writing off all your personal expenses so you don't have to pay taxes on the entire $24,000. And since you have a side hustle, you can parlay that income into rental real estate. So you can do some of these strategies that we just talked about that Donald Trump is doing. The NOL. Exactly. Depreciation, leverage, leverage, leverage. That is what it's about, guys. It's about, it's about debt. It's about debt and losses. That's all it comes down to. Debt and losses. And debt needs to become your best friend. I'm not talking about consumer debt. Wake up. We are in a real estate tax strategy conversation right now. I am not talking about consumer debt. Don't even think for a second that I'm talking Good about debt. Good debt. Good debt. MasterCard. I'm not talking that wake up okay i'm debt on a real estate deal if you guys remember the example i gave you remember i said that me and you can buy a property together and put a down payment let's just say you and i i'm going to give you guys an example let's say we found a property five hundred thousand dollars and we make a down payment of ten percent of that five hundred thousand dollars we're only making down payment for that property if we're only making a down payment for that property the entire building's amount we get to write off the entire building's amount we get to write off. That's depreciation, guys. And if we implement the cost segregation study that we talked about, where we're accelerating depreciation, we're gonna be at a loss now. So the debt that we got from the bank who gave us the loan to buy the property is helping us get to the losses that we want for the real estate. Losses are a good thing, wake up. Losses are a good thing, I want you to know that. Losses are a good thing with real estate. Because if you have these losses, guess what it gets to go offset? Well, oh, I'm working at, oh, I'm working at um, Cisco. I'm working at FedEx. It gets to offset other W-2 income, which includes retirement income, Social Security income, IRA income, any other income. Ultimately, if you're having enough losses that's just offsetting all of that W-2 income over there, then you can make adjustments to your withholdings so you're not paying as many taxes with your employer. And now you're taking home more money every two weeks. Now every time, now every time Carla Denison Associates, now every time Apple, Google, Microsoft, whoever pays me, I get 100% of my paycheck because I put my money into real estate where I have losses that helps me offset my taxable income. I don't pay any taxes. I'm actually tax free. While you're With still cash flowing from the real estate too, ideally. Real estate. I'm paying zero taxes on the money that I earn from the real estate. I own an asset that gets to go to my children when I die. 
and goes up. Mm-hmm. Like game. Oh wait, who did this? Oh my gosh, didn't the Kennedys do this? Oh my gosh, didn't the Kennedys do this? Didn't the Kennedys create the cost segregation study? Oh my gosh, didn't the Bushes do this? And guess who else? The Trumps. Hello, wake up. There are presidents, guys. And that's exactly why we put together this video. It is a game that you have to understand. It is debt and losses that has allowed the wealth to remain wealthy. It is debt and losses. Hopefully today's um, video segment provides you guys with a lot of value. I'm very passionate about it. I feel the hairs. This the didn't even go into 1031s too. And I feel like 1031s are just like the magic, almost like depreciation. And <laughs> I feel like that's a huge one. But I mean, yeah, th- there's so many things. And again, there, there's so many things that you're, you're not aware of or you won't be aware of without somebody that specializes in it. And so Correct. it's a whole new world when you get into tax law. 31 exchange says you brought it up. So one exchange, it's a powerful real estate strategy. Um, There's an IRC tax code called 1031, 1031. So that's where the whole term comes up, right? It's an IRC tax code, internal revenue code. Okay. So what a 1031 exchange means, let's just say that strategy that we're talking about guys, where we, we buy a property, we rent out the property, we do a cost segregation study to accelerate the depreciation. Now we have rental losses now we've been in a place where we've had this property for a while and you and I are sitting on a lot of money now. And let's just say you and I are like, dude, it's time for us to get another property. Should we sell the one that we have right now and then go get another property? But let's just say you come to me and Matt, get Matt are your tax strategist. And we say, hey, before you sell your property and pay capital gains tax, because you have a capital asset, right? You own a capital asset like an investment property. So you're going to pay capital gains rates rather than pay capital gains tax. How about you do a 1031 exchange? A 1031 is a like kind exchange where you are identifying a property that's of equal or greater value and you're exchanging your cost basis from one property in the next property causing a non-taxable event. What this means is you own a property you sell the property rather than paying taxes on the property the properties all the incomes and proceeds are exchanged into this new property and you just get to start paying the mortgage collecting rent on the new property with no taxes and you can do that until you die and then give it to your kids and then pay zero tax ever and guess what guess what when you do a 1031 exchange you get brand new depreciation yeah (laughs) yeah it's like a Revolving cycle that just starts right over again. Appreciation. The 27 and a half years starts all over again. It starts What did all they over- say? I th- yeah, I think it was like on maybe bigger pockets, but they call it swap till you drop. Just swap. keep swap, swapping no, they- it and then leave it to your kids, leave it to someone else. They get a step up and you're gone. But yeah, Strategy that's a real- huge one. They buy real estate. They do a cost segregation study in the first year because it doesn't make sense to wait to do a cost segregation study. You do it right away. They get all of these losses. They cash out refinance and then they go buy more investment property. Oh, cash out refi too. Cash out refi is a huge one on how on how you get money out and it's not taxable. That's huge. Dude, we're going to have to do another one of these because there's too many. You're hyping everything up. I love that. Like, cash out refi. That's, well, there's, uh, that's a huge one. You can walk away with 100, 200 grand. And the IRS isn't going to come after you. It's not proceeds. It's not. We didn't even bring that up. Okay, so guys, remember we talked about the fact that you can get into a property by leveraging OPM. OPM is other people's money. So if me and you go to the bank and we say, hey, I want to buy a house, and they give us a loan, 
right? For let's just say a $500,000 house, they give us a loan for 480. So me and you put $20,000 down, right? We can still do a cash out refinance. So what a cash out refinance is, let's just say our property goes up in value because you and I bought a property that's in a really great location. And let's say that property that we bought at $500,000 is now worth, I don't know, $750,000 in five or 10 years from now. You and I can pull out equity up to 85% of the building's value tax-free. So 85% of the entire property's value, we can pull out money and this money is now tax-free. So let's just say we pulled out $300,000. We can take this $300,000 of tax-free money and go buy another investment property. And then we can do all the same strategies we did on the first property on the second property we bought. Exactly. That's power of the cash out refinance. There's HELOCs as well. I don't really like HELOC, but the power of the cash out, the cash out refinance allows you to pull cash out of your first property. Yes, you're taking on more debt. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Debt is a good thing. Debt is a good thing. You're taking out cash out of your property, creating more debt so you can go buy another property. Yes, there's risk in it, but why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you want two properties? I want two people paying me every single month as opposed to one person, right? And then if I could go do it again, I'm going to do it again. Because eventually the goal of the wealthy is what? To live off passive income tax-free. And how the else, best part, yes. How else are we going to do it if we just spend time paying off houses? Shit. If I had to pay off a 30-year mortgage, it's going to probably take me 30 years. Maybe if I'm aggressive, but the time value of money tells me if I'm just throwing money at a mortgage that ain't paying me, does it make sense? No. So the wealthy leverage debt. This is exactly what they do. They're like, dude, I'm just going to go back, cash out, fucking refinance. Sorry. Sorry, I first. They're going to cash out, refinance, and then they're going to go buy another property. You guys can see my passion's coming right now. I apologize for Kurt. <laughs> and they're going to cash out, refinance, and buy another asset. Okay? This is the game that so many of me and Matt's clients play. And Where the best part about it is you don't need to be at a Trump size scale, a Clinton size scale. You can do every one of these things that we're talking about on a house around the corner from you, from where you live. It doesn't need to be on the big unit. Like, look at this unit right here. I wonder if I can show you guys. Doesn't need to be on something like that. It can be on a house right around the corner from you on a single family residence home. Correct. So, correct. Yeah. So if Matt, if Matt goes and buys a house in Indianapolis, that's fifty, sixty thousand dollars He can do the exact strategy talking about where he puts mm -hmm. payment of five or six thousand dollars down he's renting out a property and he's claiming depreciation he can if the property improves he could do a cash out refinance yeah it's going to be a lot smaller but he can use that money to go buy another property and if he wanted to he could 1031 exchange so let's just say matt buys a seventy thousand dollar property in indianapolis indiana and let's say Matt improves the property. He adds some new flooring, maybe a few lightings and changes out the windows. He only puts about 10 grand into it. But that 10 grand made the property $100,000 now. So if Matt improved his property and it went up in value, he can choose to sell it and go to another property that's of equal value. So now Matt sees a duplex that's 100 grand. And now he's like, ooh, I want to go buy that duplex because there's two tenants rather than one tenant in my single family home. So Matt can sell his property by going a 1031 exchange accommodator, someone who does 1031 for a living, and Matt will tell them, hey, I want to do a 1031 exchange. They'll say, Matt, identify the property that you wish to into within 90 days. You have 90 days, no longer. And then you need to sell your property within 180 days. So these are the rules. 
You get 90 days to identify the property that's of equal or greater value than the asset you're currently selling. And then you get 180 days to close escrow, which means you have to close the deal, which means your house needs to get you need to buy that other house. If not, it's a failed 1031 exchange. What happens in a failed 1031? You pay taxes on the sale of the asset because technically you sold a property. So you pay capital gains. So a 1031 exchange is a great tax strategy leveraged by savvy real estate investors who want to continue to get into bigger real estate like apartment buildings, but they do not want to pay taxes. And they're not going to sell away an asset because everyone knows who owns real estate. It doesn't make sense to sell anything. You never sell real estate. That is the whole beauty of real estate. It's like a, you're buying yourself a every first of the month. You get a check in the mail that says, hey, here's your rent. You get never it. sell, never sell and never sell while your mortgage is getting paid down. Guess what? That person's still going to have to give you rent and they're still going to have to give you rent and they're still going to have to give you rent while you're taking all the strategies and write offs that we talked about here today. You got appreciation, you got cash flow. It's yeah. Now, one thing I will talk about since we have about seven minutes left and I'm gonna let you guys go is I want to talk about home ownership. What about primary residence? Do you get to take depreciation? No. And this is why a home is not considered an asset. Sorry. I understand what your parents have told you. I understand you're probably paying rent right now. You're sick of it. It does not mean a home is an asset. Am I telling you not to buy a home? No, I'm not telling you not to buy a home. I'm telling you, I'm telling you know what you're buying. That's what I'm telling you. Sure, it's fine to go get a single family home and put a 3.5% down payment down and do an FHA loan and get into a house and, and just be in a house and build equity. That's fine. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't let that be your bent, your end all be all. Because ultimately, but what we've shown you is the power of being able to leverage real estate. You can't claim depreciation when you're a homeowner. Guess what you get to write off? Property taxes, property interest. That's it. That's it. Which you're not going to beat the standard typically. You're not going to beat the standard deduction of $24,800 if you're married. So your property taxes and your mortgage interest have to be more than $24,800 for you to eat write them off. So when your parents told you, when your parents told you buying a house saves you in tax, ask them how. Next question should be how. Because mom, if the standard deduction is $24,800, me and David are married and we filed jointly, we're not going to be paying $24,800 in mortgage interest and property taxes in the first year unless we get an expensive ass first home. Right? So this is the things that you guys have to know. It's like, okay, it's fine getting into a primary residence, but what is your strategy? What is your strategy? Are you going to go get into a home, get married, chill, and just never buy real estate and never invest? Or are you going to get into a home, build equity, possibly cash out, refinance, and go get an investment property and leverage debt? Or maybe get into a home and do a house hack where you get into the home, you renovate the home, and then you and your wife go move out, and then you rent out the house that you guys bought. There's no Anybody that's 20 to 25 and is not house hacking, I mean, it's a crazy idea. Like, it, it's just, it, yeah. Me and my fiance have these types of conversations all the time. But when I was 22, 23 years old, I didn't understand real estate and I didn't understand tax strategy. So I didn't have these conversations. I had conversations of where I wanted to go, where I wanted to live, and the people I wanted to enjoy my time with. Now we have conversations on how we're going to build wealth, how we're going to leverage, 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 leverage. Right? If we're talking about getting into a house, we already know it ain't going to be our forever house. So how are we going to leverage it if it's not our forever house? How can we leverage this asset that we want to buy knowing that we're not going to live there forever? Well, how about we create a plan? 
How about we have a strategic plan on how we're going to improve the house so we can have equity that we can pull out and go buy another house. And then if we want to, then we can move out and rent. Never sell. Never sell. Real estate is so, so horrible. Hopefully you guys have found value in this. Um, I didn't even get a chance to look at some of these questions. Oh my goodness. Very, I see very interesting. Do you think the this job act will be affected if I president I could care less about politics but what if guys so yes I think that there will be a repeal of the tax cuts job act if Biden gets becomes president I think that the 20% qualified business income deduction will get repealed I think capital gain tax capital gain tax will be increased I think the corporate tax rate will, like Biden said he wants to increase the corporate tax rate back from 20 from 21% to 28%. So there's gonna be so many business owners that leave the United States and they'll just go do business in another country that's not gonna tax them as much. So it's not gonna help our economy. Um, and he's also gonna get rid of step up in basis. This is the most important way that uh, the Trumps, the Kennedys, the Clintons have built their wealth is because when you die, you have a property that's sitting inside of a trust, your child can get the step up in basis, which means if that property is worth 1.5 million, basis in the property will be at the level of what that fair market value of the property is when the person dies. This is kind of like hard for me and Matt to explain to you right now, but pretty much what that means is you never want to sell real estate because the people who inherit your rental properties can start renting out your rental properties at the value they're at when you die, not the value they're at when they bought them. If I buy a house, 50,000, the day before I die, it's worth 100,000. If I sold it, I would pay tax on 50,000 of gain. If I die and it goes to my son, he now takes that value of 100,000. So now he like resets at zero. So he could sell it the day after for 100,000 and he would pay no gain. Whereas the day before, if I sold it when I was alive, I would pay tax on 50,000 of gain. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah, pretty much the basis goes to a level so the person who's uh, who's taking on the property if they decide to sell it they're not paying any taxes on the gain guys that's called a step up in basis right so trump understands this a lot of a lot of wealthy investors understand step up in basis that's why they'll create a trust and then they'll place their properties in a trust rather than having it go to probate you've heard of probate before probate is where the the the, the banks get to decide okay how am i going to divvy up this how much do i get the banks are deciding now what to do with your property if you if you want the banks to decide what to do with your mom and your dad's property that they worked hard to invest in, then don't get a trust and let probate decide. If you want to step up in basis and be able to benefit from being able to sell a property possibly tax-free, then get a trust. It's that simple. It's like a baton. It's just a means of handing something off to the next person. It's very important. Um, so that's step up in basis. I'm glad we brought that up. Um, really quickly, Matt, any last little tidbits you want to give them before we head out of here? I would just say the biggest thing is, is don't think that these big conglomerates are the only ones that can do this. Any person, anybody can do this. And it's a lot easier than you think is what I'll kind of end it with. And all you need to do is just kind of open your mind and speak to somebody that deals with it, which is like Carlton and I do. Every day, all day, we deal with people and help people strategize how to do exactly what we just talked about. Yep. Also, um, someone said Trump has offshore accounts. You want to talk about anything offshore? I mean, not, not really. really. That's a pretty complex issue. Guys, it, we, there's foreign tax accountants that I've connected with. Being able to invest offshore, you have to have so much money because you need to be able to move. You, 
move to avoid some of the tax or else you're just going to pay foreign tax here. You're just going to pay taxes here. There's a form that goes inside your tax returns that calculates the foreign tax that you're going to receive in a credit here, but you're still going to pay taxes. So if you guys have questions about investing offshore, if you want to have real estate offshore, if you're thinking about moving out of the country, send me or Matt a direct message so we can um, talk to you guys more. I'm not going to spend time addressing the, the foreign tax credits today. Just appreciate you asking um, the question. So guys, uh, last but not least, did, uh, does Donald Trump truly, did he truly pay $750 in taxes? Matt, let them know how much tax Donald Trump really pays. This is the one that killed me the most. Okay, let's assume it is fair that he only paid $750 in federal income tax as himself. That does not include all of the city taxes, the local taxes, the state taxes, and the payroll taxes. When you hire somebody as an employee, think about this. Not, if I give somebody a $100,000 salary, I'm going to have to cover other employee costs because I'm their employer for payroll. It's roughly about 10%, sometimes up to 12, 15. So not only am I having to pay them a $100,000 salary, I'm having to pay them about 110,000. My cost to have that employee is really not just their salary. It's actually about 10% more. Yep. So imagine how many employees the Trump corporation and the Trump name has at all these resorts, the golf courses, it, and so that's when, sure, if he only paid that amount of money in federal income tax, that is not the only amount of tax that he is paying as a corporation, as himself. And so I think that is the biggest misconception with this whole thing that came out, which, and again, right, you have some people saying $750 is too much. It should have been zero. But again, he paid so much, millions in tax, millions, millions. Of, yeah. Trump, Trump pays millions in taxes. What you guys need to know is he also does estimated tax payments. That was five million alone. That was five and a half million he paid. He paid five and a half million alone in estimated tax payments. So when everyone, Expe yeah, there's guys, you have to realize who's giving this information too, right? It's not like just straight tax accounts are just saying, oh, seven fifty, right? It's like these are reporters. They hear something, they're like, oh, seven fifty, right? Trump paid over five and a half million dollars in estimated tax payments. That means every quarter, because there's four quarters in a year, he was dropping money to the government to pay them. Okay. He just happened to wind out with 750 because of everything we already talked about. The NOL loss carry forward and carry backs, investing in opportunity zones, research and development credits, and capital expenditures. So you guys now have the strategies that Donald Trump leverages to pay $0 in taxes. But what are you going to do with this information? If I were you, I'd be trying to expand on this information that I learned here today. If you guys need any book recommendations, I'd like to share some book recommendations for you. There's a book I read called Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. It is a very, very, very easy, easy, easy to book on taxes, business, and becoming tax-free. It is a great audible book if you're someone who likes to pop in the AirPods and listen to an audible. Another good book by Robert Kiyosaki is Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrants. We went over the different quadrants today, the E, the S, the B, and the I. It's important to understand that because that's important for wealth building. So I want you to understand how income is taxed. And last but not least is why the richer. Why being richer by Kiyosaki will teach you about debt, phantom income, and leveraging losses. So if you guys are wanting to expand your knowledge after this video today, those are my recommendations. And then of course, you're more than welcome to reach out to me or Matt in our DMs. Matt is a CPA in Las Vegas.
more than welcome to reach out to him. And you guys know where I'm located. I'm here in Southern California working 365 days out of the year. I want to say thank you for giving us your undivided attention for the last hour. You have, a good rest of your, uh, have a good rest of your day and have a wonderful weekend, brother. You too, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. All right, guys. I'm heading out of here. Hope you guys enjoyed this. And uh, until next time.